Welcome to episode 9 of the Arbor Vitae podcast promoting virtue in woodworking. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Jonathan Conrad. And we'll be your co-hosts for today. Our mission is to explore how different virtues influence the way we live and work in the shop, how virtues contribute to the fruitfulness of our labor, and to highlight those who are making significant contributions to this great woodworking community. Jonathan, what have you been working on lately? I've been working on a couple of things. Uh, so I'm excited to say that the the bed that I've been working on is complete. It's installed uh, awesome. and we love it. Um, we had a couple of challenges, you know, underestimating the sheer weight of a king size bed with, you know, us and three kids on it, jumping on it. Ah. Um, so I had to, I had to make a couple of adjustments to how the mattress was supported there's a, basically there's a, a mostly hidden support piece underneath the middle, uh, because it's two box springs. Cause a King box oh. spring cannot fit through a door frame. Gotcha. Um, or I don't, basically, I don't think they make them. They just, you have to have two twin, uh, box springs. So, um, but I'm, I'm very pleased with how it turned out. My wife is thrilled with it. Um, so that's, that was exciting. Uh, I would say. I'm glad it's done. I don't really like making beds. They're very, <laughs> you know, cause there's no room for error. It, it right. can't be too big. It can't be too small. The mattress <laughs> has to fit perfectly. And I just don't operate that way. I eyeball things and I, you know, it's general measurements of, I want it to be roughly this length and roughly this high. Uh, but it's like, nope, it has to be 79 and three quarters <laughs> inches, not a quarter more, not a quarter less. Um, right. But it was a good, you know, a good practice and in, in patience for me. And, you know, overall it turned out well. So that's the first thing. Um, so that's off the bench. And then the other thing is. Well, before we, before we move on, does that mean that you have now built every bed in your house? No, Matthew has uh, bunk beds that we bought. Ah, okay. Uh, so, but no, I mean, I've built three of, three of the five. So. That's incredible. Not so bad. you still got one more. Yeah. But, but that's it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun and it, it's cool because we're at the point now where I would say a good 75% of the furniture in our house I've made. That's incredible. Um, you know, and it's mostly just tables, you know, a kitchen table, sure. a coffee table, an end table, um, things and shelves and things like that. But it, it's, it's exciting. Um, it's fun. And That's so slowly but awesome. surely, you know. I think you had mentioned that was kind of a goal of yours, you know, mm -hmm. a lifetime goal. And, and I think, uh, you know, I'm well on my way there. So uh, th that was that was very exciting to get that finished. So the other thing is my brother and my dad are in town. Uh, we decided over Christmas that we were each going to pick a project and we were going to pick three weekends throughout the year. And, you know, we do one project in my my place, one project in my brother's, one project in my dad's. So oh, that's I'm, cool. I'm up first. And so right now, what's what's. It's not on my bench, but it, we have <laughs> drywall dust everywhere because we're we're actually knocking down two walls, taking out a closet, and making one big mudroom. Um, so I'm going from fine furniture making to uh, to demo and construction. <laughs> awesome. So I've never taken walls down before, uh, so it was kind of nice to get some moral moral support. Uh, but it was pretty fun, uh, and we made a lot of progress last night, so we'll get back to it, uh, today and, uh, it, it's hopefully by the time that they leave demo will be done and the not mudded, but drywall will be back up. Okay. 
because um, we've got to move a floor register and electrical light switches that are in the wow. current wall that we're taking out. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it's fun. It's exciting. And uh, I'll, I'll make sure to post some pictures. Uh, we'll, I'll post some pictures on Instagram once the weekend is over as far as where, where we started and where we ended up. Okay, awesome. Yep. Yeah, it'll be nice to have the help, uh, especially in hanging the drywall. I mean, mm-hmm. mudding drywall, that's pretty easy for one guy to do you know, yep. on his own, but, uh, but yeah, hanging it, it'll be good to have some extra hands there. <laughs> yep. So what about you? Uh, I have been working on sort of the same, same old, same old projects. Um, the bunk beds, which we got the, uh, we got the full bed on the bottom done completely. And then so far, uh, we've worked on the dresser, which is going to be, uh, so that there's going to be the full bed on the bottom twin bed on the top. And then there's going to be a staircase. My sister did not want a ladder. So there's going to be a staircase. And then the top step of that staircase is actually a, a standalone dresser uh, that's going to be a separate piece from the staircase so that it can be modular and they, they can decide which corner they want to put it in and whatnot. Okay. So we're working on the dresser now, and it's really cool. Uh, we did run into a problem, though, and that is we made the drawers a little too tight so we allowed for you know basically an inch gap because it uh, we're using metal drawer slides and so we've got a half an inch on either side but we like just allowed for an inch and they're really ridiculously tight you know drawers are just like beds yeah they can't be too big they can't be too small they're a pain in the butt and see we thought we thought we were great we were like okay allow for an inch gap allow for an inch gap and we did we allowed we allowed the heck out of an inch gap, but just an inch. And so uh, we have to, you know, we're met with a decision. You know, the drawers are already glued and tacked together. Right. So it would be really hard to undo them. So we have two options. Uh, the first one, which we're going to try because I think it would be the most straightforward, is to sand down the outsides of the drawers just a little bit because I don't think we need a whole lot of wiggle room. We just need some so that it's not, you know, super tight in there. And luckily um, we were actually a little bit annoyed at this at first, but I think that it's um, going to help us in this instance, the insides we, we use just budget. I'll, I'll say budget plywood um, <laughs> because, you know, my sister did not have all the money in the world to spend on this. So, um, it kind of potato chipped on us a little bit, and there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a bow inside uh, on on the the drawer sides, um, and so essentially we will only have to sand the corners yeah. of the drawer. Um, so we're gonna try that. But the other uh, thing you could try is to run a like run a dado channel mm-hmm. that's just like an eighth of an inch or a sixteenth of an inch deep where the drawer slide will fit in the drawer. Interesting. Yeah, that that is a fantastic idea. I'm glad I talked to you about this before we actually started any of it. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, uh, the, the other thing that we were considering is planing down the drawer runners that, like, so we have, the way it's constructed is there are, you know, we have the carcass itself, and then Inside the carcass, flush with the opening for each drawer, we have like kickers that go from front to back mm-hmm. that 
the outside of the drawer slides are attached to. So they're not a- attached directly to the plywood. They're I got attached you. to these kickers. So we were going to plane down the kickers. So that, that would work too. Yeah. The only problem there is the face frame is flush with the outside of the holes. So we would have to chisel out uh, the, the part of the face frame where the drawer slide <laughs> is. So, and, and that's that already glued to the carcass. Yeah. So that won't it, work. Yeah, but um, I like your idea of of running a shallow dado. Um, it's only half inch plywood, but I think we would still have enough bite for the drawer slides. Um, yep. Assuming that the dado is not too deep, so I might run that by Dan and see what he thinks. Uh, <laughs> anyway, enough about the bunk beds. Um, the cool thing, the really cool thing that we did is we put a roof on the shop which was just an amazing experience. I had never done any roofing myself before. I had seen it done, you know, on our house, and then we put an addition on the house and a couple of other places. But that was really neat. Daniel and I were up on... uh, He was on the front of the house, or on the, uh, the front of the garage. I was on the back of the garage. And then my dad was actually on the joists themselves. So, or on the... um, so, So each... Each truss would come in and he would stand you know first we put the gable end on one of the gable ends and then he got up on a ladder and stood on that then we'd bring another truss in i would kind of get it into place on the back nail it daniel would nail it in the front and then dad would brace it and then hop onto that truss that's insane and then we'd bring another one it was it was nuts my palms were sweating the whole time (laughs) not from me being up high but just watching dad like monkeying around up there i was just it was terrifying, but uh, also exhilarating. So I bet <laughs> that's probably a pretty exciting step to get that because now it's like, oh, yep, there's a building. Right, right, yeah. It's not. It's no longer a footprint or a floor plan or right. you know anything like that. It's it's an enclosure. Um, now we we've ordered the doors and the windows, and they're here, but we don't have any of them put in yet. Um, but still, it's like we can leave we can leave our tools in there you know, in the right. middle of the floor. And unless we get really, really hard driving uh, wind and rain, they're going to be essentially out of the elements. So awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's really neat. So we've got all the sheathing on the roof at this point, all the roof felt put up. Uh, and actually, Dad is going up to um, look at tin for the outside. We're going to put uh, metal siding and roofing on. Cool. And so we're still kind of trying to decide on a color scheme um but he's gonna he's gonna look at that so i'm really excited because it's it's flying now i mean for the longest time it was just kind of a hole in the ground and now it's like it seems like every weekend it, it just looks completely different so um, that's, that's fun yeah hopefully we'll have a nice new shop here soon awesome so um so last week we talked about patience. And we had several people respond to our challenge question of, you know, what what do you do uh, to be patient in the shop? What techniques do you have? So we'd like to thank uh, Mike Woods, Craig Thibodeau, and Paul Garius, um, and also Jake of All Trades for the nice shout out that he gave us. We really appreciated that. Yeah, he does a video log um, and, and was, you know, sharing some... Uh just podcasts and YouTube channels that, that he subscribes to. He mentioned ours, which we really appreciate and mentioned two others, which sounded fantastic. Basically uh, businesses that make furniture, but they employ 
uh, you know, men and women who need a second chance, whether it's they're homeless or they are, re, you know, rehabilitation of some sort. Um, and the cool thing is that there's a company here in Indianapolis also, uh, uh, purposeful design that, that does something similar, which is just fantastic. Uh, you know, giving, giving men and women, an opportunity to be employed and have, you know, dignified work, uh, is really, really fantastic. So appreciate the, the shout out Jake. And, uh, <clears throat> the cool thing about Mike Woods, what he was, posting on was he basically built a kid size high reach excavator with a wooden track. So <laughs> the patience part for him was like, I don't know, let's say 50 different small identical pieces uh, that would be pinned together to make one, two, two sets of tracks. Uh, so if, if you're not following him, go check it out. It is really cool. And I think he finished it and painted it like John Deere green. Um, so very, very, very cool. So th thank you guys for, for listening and, uh, for, you know, being part of the conversation very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, we wanted to thank, uh, at wood shavings DS on Instagram. He shouted out to us on one of Craig Thibodeau's posts that he was enjoying the podcast. So, uh, thanks for at, listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We're glad you enjoy it and, um, feel free to, you know, keep chiming in on these, um, challenge questions. The other thing is we did post recently that we would like to get a monthly Google Hangout started with all of our listeners who are interested. So um, if you haven't responded to that, we asked our listeners to tell us which days of the week and times worked better for them. So um, find that post on our Instagram feed and go ahead and respond if you haven't already because we'd love to have you and, and get a chance to talk to everyone and keep the discussion going. Yeah, we'll try. And so it sounded like Tuesday night based on the feedback so far was, I think, the most popular one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll try and get that. Uh, let's just give ourselves, let's say, within the next, within the month. Well, within a a month. So <laughs> a month from today. Uh, right. Uh, try and get that first one scheduled. So uh, be on the lookout <laughs> for more information on that. Yep. By the middle of March. Yep. <laughs> um, so... Today's episode is actually the first part of what we hope to be a two-part series on role models in woodworking. Um, it's something that you know we've we've talked about and we think is very valuable to to think of people who have an effect on us, a good effect on us in our woodworking. And so we're going to kind of look at the living and the dead, as it were. Um, and what I mean by that is. Today's first topic, the, the, the part one of this two-episode series, is on patron saints of woodworking. Um, and so we have a little definition of a patron saint, for those of you who may not be familiar. Yeah, so a patron saint, uh, the, the way the best way to define it is, is a heavenly advocate of a nation, place, craft, activity, class, family, or person. Uh, so, so as Catholics, we believe that patron saints having already transcended to the metaphysical, in other words, we believe that they are in heaven, are able to intercede effectively for the needs of their special charges. So in this case, those who their special charges being the craft of woodworking. Uh, and so what we want to do is explore those, uh, a couple of the patron saints of woodworking or carpentry, uh, that, that have had an impact on our lives. Um, and, and look at that as, you know, one opportunity for, 
them to play a role as a role model for us uh, because, you know, for, for most of them, we have information about their lives. Um, so we wanted to kind of talk through a couple of those that, you know, again, have played a, played a role in our lives. Yeah, and it's important to know that these were real men who, who did live and, you know, they lived, they lived lives of heroic virtue. Mm-hmm. And now we believe that they are in heaven and interceding for us. So even if you're not Catholic, these men are people to look up to and to uh, to act as role models for us. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. We, we picked sort of the three main patrons of woodworking. I'm sure there are others that we don't know about, but their stories range from implausible and unprovable to plausible but unprovable to yep. both plausible and provable so we have we run sort of the whole gamut um and and so the first one that we want to bring up who is it just has the most incredible story and it's not historically verifiable is um saint wolfgang of regensburg now, St. Wolfgang of Regensburg lived from 934 to 994, and he was the bishop of Regensburg, Germany. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, what does a bishop have to do with woodworking? You know, why is he the patron of woodworking? Because he was a clergyman, not a, not a carpenter or a builder. Well, the legend goes like this. St. Wolfgang was told in a dream that he was to build a church, and when he awoke from the dream, he immediately set out to find the area that he was supposed to build this church in. He, he he didn't know exactly where it was, but he had this vision of it being up on top of a mountain. And so he went up the mountain and looked around and, and just could not find this place that he had seen in his dream. So, you know, he had brought an axe with him because he assumed he would have to clear some trees. So he... he He prayed to God and he said, God, I don't know where you want me to build this church, so I'm just going to throw this axe and wherever it lands, I will go there and I will build your church there. I should make my decisions that way too. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I don't know which project I want to build or what lumber I want to use. So I'm going to throw this axe at my lumber rack and whatever it sticks in, (laughs) that's what I'm using for this project. Pretty manly too. (laughs) Yeah. I, basically, the moral of the story is start carrying an axe around. I mean, <laughs> you never know when you're going to need exactly. to build a church. Saint Wolfgang said so. No, um, so <laughs> so he throws this axe and it falls down the mountain into a valley, and he goes to look for it. And as he's walking in the general direction of the axe, he comes upon this wolf, and the wolf is you know tearing past him, and he says, "Halt, wolf! Will you help me build this church for God?" And the wolf says, I can't, I'm being pursued by a hunter, my life is at stake, and he zooms off into the trees. So St. Wolfgang keeps walking, and all of a sudden, here's another rustling behind him, and a hunter emerges. And he says, Huntsman, will you help me build this church for God? And he says, I can't, I've been tracking a wolf for hours, and I will not be denied my prize. And he runs off after the wolf. So finally, St. Wolfgang keeps walking, and he finds the axe. And by the axe is the devil. Okay. Now, most people would be terrified by, you know, encountering the devil. I would. Uh, Yeah, I I would too. I think I'd be scared out of my wits. And uh, however, St. Wolfgang just kind of, you know, strikes up a conversation with the devil. And the devil says, Wolfgang, what are you doing here? You know, what, what are you up to? And he says, well, I'm building a church for God. And 
the devil says, all by yourself. And Wolfgang says, no, you will help me do it. And the devil says, why would I help you build a church for God whom I hate? And he said, because I command you to. And the devil says, all right, I will help you build the church on one condition. And that is that the first soul to enter the church is mine. And so St. Wolfgang prays and, and he says, you know, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I need help. Um, but I don't really want to accept the terms that the devil, you know, put forth. But at the same time, I don't know how to do it otherwise. So he says to the devil, as horrible as this sounds, I'm going to accept your call and I'm just going to trust that God will handle it. So he forces the devil to build this huge, beautiful Romanesque church. But it, it's funny, the legends all say that even the devil's straight lines were crooked. <laughs> in that, you know, there was just something off about it because, I mean, it's the devil building a church. It's going to be a little wonky. Um, but he built this great monument to God, you know, very much against his will. And when he finished, he said to Wolfgang, all right, so now the first soul to enter that church is mine. And St. Wolfgang says, that's okay. God will provide. And all of a sudden he hears another rustling in the woods and the wolf comes by and tears off in the direction of the church. So Wolfgang throws open the door and the wolf runs inside the church and he slams the door and says, all right, devil, there's your soul. And the devil says, that's not what I meant. You know, that's not what I meant. And he said, it doesn't matter. That's what you asked for. So the first soul that enters the church is yours. You get that wolf. And no no son of man is, is you know, your victim. Um, and the, the huntsman comes in and he's angry because he's denied his prey. And the wolf is angry because he has to go to hell with the devil. And the devil's angry because he didn't get a human soul. And St. Wolfgang says, everyone got his due in this situation. You know, devil, you have no right to a human soul. Wolf, you refused to help me build this church for God and desired to save your own hide instead. So you now get your reward, which is that you have to go to hell. And Huntsman, you refuse to help me, so you get your reward, which is you're denied your prize. Um, and so they all sort of walked away to their respective places dejectedly, and St. Wolfgang entered the church, consecrated it, and presumably it, it served its purpose for many years. That's so, a pretty sweet legend. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's all things are possible with God, so we can't just discount that this could not have happened, but it's not the most feasible story, and we don't have a way of, of verifying it historically. But that does not mean that it doesn't it it doesn't give a moral for us to follow. Um, and I think that moral is very clearly that we need to overcome our faults and the obstacles that are placed with us. And when bad things happen to us, when, when the devil confronts us, we need to use those bad circumstances for good in whatever way we can and trust in God to provide for us. So in the shop, you know, we make mistakes all the time. Bad things happen. And sometimes it can feel like, okay, who is doing this? Because too many bad things are happening for it to be a coincidence. Mm -hmm. But we need to persevere and learn to overcome those mistakes and trust in God that he will provide. Well, and also if somebody walks by you with an ax and asks you to build a church, you build it. That's true. Yeah. 
Help I, help your fellow man. Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. Pretty whimsical, but um, yeah. but like I said, there are definitely lessons to be gleaned from it. Absolutely. So the the second patron saint that we want to talk about, uh, and obviously is somebody who's near and dear to both Adam and I's heart, uh, is St. Joseph. Uh, and what I wanted to kind of do is uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, we don't know very much about St. Joseph if we, if we're, if we're just focusing on what is said about him in scripture for, for one thing, he doesn't speak in scripture. There is no, there's no verse in the Bible that says, and St. Joseph said this. Uh, so we know that he was a, you know, a humble man. And I believe it, you know, it, it talks about him being a virtuous man. Basically there's one line that says, uh, where where men are talking about Jesus and they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? That is all that we know about him. I mean, there's a couple other verses that mention him, but that's how we know him to be at least a carpenter. Um, but a couple of years ago, I think this was, let's say the start of 2014, uh, my wife got me a book called The Life of St. Joseph. Uh, and it's as manifested by our Lord Jesus Christ to Maria Cecilia Baige. Uh, this was back in the middle 1700s, 1743 to 1766. Um, and, and basically uh, what that translates to, it was a private revelation, uh, mm-hmm. which means that it's not like this is part of the catechism or church doctrine, uh, but it was approved by the local bishop. So it's it's more or less a, it is a private le- revelation. We, we kind of take it for exactly what it is. And so this isn't necessarily meant to be a an accurate historical account that's verifiable uh but we also to believe it to be of i guess sound and virtuous nature in that we can uh draw inspiration from it you know fairly reliably mm-hmm. um so where this kind of started is that you know i got this i got this gift for my wife for christmas and this was around the time that i had kind of finished up a full year of of w- what was supposed to be profitable woodworking through what I had called Conrad designs. And, you know, I kind of ended the year where I was like, I need to take a break from this. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't fruitful. It wasn't fun. It was taking me away from the family and, and it just priorities were backwards. And so I kind of made a commitment to myself, you know, I'm going to take a break here a little bit from woodworking. I'm going to try and get back into the faith that I was brought up in and rebuild starting with my faith. Um, and this book really was a huge part of that because I wanted to, to establish a daily prayer routine. And so I basically said, okay, I'm going to read a chapter of this book each day, and I'm going to kind of use that as inspiration for prayer on a daily basis. And that was, I mean, that was phenomenal. So that he's obviously plays a huge role in my life now because of he was this reading this story about him was really transformational for me um, as a man of faith, but also in woodworking, because as I continued reading this and I started to get back into woodworking, I, what I learned about him really inspired and uh, really inspired the way that I decided to approach woodworking moving forward. And so there are a couple of virtues that I kind of pulled from, from his story that I kind of wanted to talk through as far as where that inspiration came from, you know, the, the first and probably the most profound one was just, uh, the tremendous faith that St. Joseph had in our Lord. Um, 
and, and, a, and a great example of this uh, is, you know, he he took on the role of being a carpenter before he was 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 married, um, and you know he sold all of his belongings uh, that he had inherited from his parents after they had passed away, gave that money to the church, and the next thing that he did was he found a mentor and a master craftsman that was going to teach him the trade. Um, and he literally put all of his faith in God that says, okay, God, you want me to be a carpenter? Okay. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do that fully. I'm going to, I'm going to give everything I have to it because that's the only way, you know, that's the way that God calls us to live. And that's a pretty huge act of, of faith. Um, and it's also an act of obedience in that God called him to do this. There were no, yeah, but, uh, I don't really, I don't want (laughs) to, it was okay. I will do this. And so that was, you know, that was kind of the start of it for him. Um, but obviously he quickly excelled. Uh, and, you know, again, we, knowing him to be a virtuous man, he quickly excelled in the trade, learned everything that he could from this master craftsman. And after uh, this, this craftsman passed away, he started, you know, he, he went off on his own. Um, and the other piece of the faith, which was remarkable and, and somewhat hum- very humbling listening to it and uh, reading it, was the fact that he did not charge a certain price for his work. Uh, he was so confident that the Lord would provide for him that when he made something for someone, he simply built it and gave it to them. And whatever they gave him in return is the payment that he received for it. So wow. if they paid him a handsome sum, he he graciously accepted that, gave most of it to the church and took only what he needed. In other accounts, many people would literally take the piece of furniture that he made and walk away. Um, and, you know, I, I mention it not because I think that that's what God is calling us to do in, in, in today's world, but to think about it from, look, thinking of that from a faith standpoint of, I don't know when my next paycheck is going to come, but I have such confidence in the Lord that I will take whatever he gives me through the people that I am serving. And just how remarkable that is from a faith standpoint, um, and then a, and then from an obedience standpoint, the th- this part broke my heart. But at the same time, it's truly remarkable if you think about it. Saint Joseph, a carpenter, right? And he knows now that that the Son of Man, he is going to be the foster father of the Son of Man, um, the Redeemer of the world. Uh, and th- you, know, you think of that, like just think of yourself in his shoes. I'm a carpenter. What would I do with that? Naturally, I want to build him a crib. It is like the one thing that I can do for for our Savior. I'm going to build him a crib. And so St. Joseph built him a magnificently beautiful crib with whatever materials he had available. So I'm sure it was a a, a very minimalist, humble crib. Um, but we know from the story that Jesus was not born at home. He was born in a cave or, or in a stable. Um and so you think about, you know, from an obedience standpoint, how much that probably hurt to not from a pride standpoint, from, but from simply a, this is, I'm, I'm supposed to be his father. I'm supposed to provide for him. And I have tried to the best of my ability to provide for him in building this crib. And yet he won't be brought into this world in this crib. He's going to be brought into this world in a manger, um, in a, in an unfamiliar place that isn't home, uh, with, with farm animals all around him. Uh, and, you know, you think about that from a, like, 
I probably would have been like, no way, he's got to be like, I that can't be possible. That can't be the plan. It must be something else. And and St. Joseph was, was just simply obedient. God called them to go and they went, uh, leaving everything behind, knowing that whatever God's plan was, is that was what's going to happen. Um, and so that was also remarkable. And then I guess the last piece from a virtue standpoint, and this is kind of a uh, an assumed virtue, is fortitude. And, and basically persistence towards holiness and persistence in the trade. You know, if we think of him as a virtuous man, knowing that as the foster father of, of Jesus, he, he must have been a very, very, very holy man. And that means that he did everything to the very best of his ability. So we can only assume that because of that, he was a remarkable carpenter. Uh, because he wouldn't have done it half-heartedly. That's what God called him to do, was the work that God gave him. So he was going to give and invest all of his energy into that, because that would be the the, the just thing to do. And so when I, you know, the more that I read through the book, and it talks about, you know, simple woodworking, obviously it doesn't go into, you know, actual practices, right? Because it's not really necessarily about the woodworking, but I started to kind of envision like what was woodworking like 2000 years ago? You know, how did, what did they build? How did, what did they use? How did they do that? And that's really where I started to get drawn into hand tools. Hmm. Um, just from the sheer fact of it was harder, um, but it was quieter. It was more peaceful, um, required greater control, or but it gave you greater control over, over the the tool as well as the materials and really what it came down to was you know reading this book i was like i was a lazy woodworker um i wasn't trying that hard i wasn't challenging myself i wasn't pushing myself um and i wasn't really i was just racing to the finish line to get the product finished and then move on and you know Connecting with the story of his life really challenged me to change, drastically change the way I approached woodworking from a hurry up and get to the finished product to all about the journey, you know, which we talked about in episode seven. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have, you know, read the book and, and really be able to connect more with his story and, and it really has completely changed how I approached woodworking and, you know, the, it's like the results are, are evident. I, the quality of my work has gone up dr- dramatically since going from, um, you know, rushing through with power tools and get it done as quickly as possible to taking my time, um, pushing myself and, and really giving it everything that I have. And so, uh, you know, he's a, a wonderful man. And I think there's, there's an opportunity for anyone to just think about, even if you just limit yourself to what's said about him in scriptures and kind of reflect on what that translates to and what kind of man he probably was, uh, is really profound and remarkable. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've covered St. Wolfgang of Regensburg, who is, you know, his story is implausible and unverifiable. We've covered St. Joseph, whose story is plausible, but not historically verifiable. Mm-hmm. And now we come to St. Nicholas Owen, who, as we'll come to find out, his story is not only plausible, but also historically verifiable. Yep. St. Nicholas Owen lived during the recusancy period in England from uh, 1562 to 1606. And 
what that means for those of you who aren't familiar with that period in English history is the English Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in England had just occurred and it went sort of back and forth whether Catholicism or Protestantism was the state religion in England. But by the sort of the adulthood of St. Nicholas Owens, um, Queen Elizabeth I was Queen of England and she had completely outlawed any sort of practice of Catholicism. So, um, you know, it was a crime to attend any sort of Catholic service. It was a crime not to attend the Protestant service on Sundays. And most importantly, it was a crime punishable by death to be a priest or to harbor a Catholic priest. And so St. Nicholas Owen was a Jesuit lay brother. So the Jesuits, um, the the Society of Jesus was the order founded by um, St. Ignatius Loyola. And they were sort of the main Catholic presence in England at the time. They were uh, um, predominantly missionaries who had been sent into the country, essentially smuggled into the country under you know false identities and, and in very much secrecy so that they wouldn't be killed. And they would go around to these um, the, the houses of what they called recusant Catholics. So Catholics who refused to... Um, to convert to Protestantism or to abandon their their faith, and they would have these altars and things built inside their houses so that they could, uh, when when they were harboring a priest, the priest could offer the mass for them. And so Saint Nicholas Owen was a a lay member of the Jesuits, so he was not ordained; he was never a priest or a deacon or anything like that. But he was he was a lay member of the Jesuits and. His big contribution to the faith at that time was that he was a phenomenal carpenter, stonemason, woodworker, you know, you name it, he built it. And he used those talents to build what they called priest holes, which were, um, you know, in, in the United States, we're hopefully all familiar with the Underground Railroad, which is how they would hide slaves to smuggle them out of the the slave states into the free states in the north during the Civil War and and that time period. This was essentially the same thing. They would build these hidden spaces in houses so that when the authorities came, you know, if someone tipped them off that there was a priest or, um, you know, practicing Catholics in a house, you could hide the priest, you could hide the vestments, you could hide the sacred vessels, you could hide the books that you used for mass, and you would just hide them in these hidden spaces. Some of them were barely tall enough for a priest to get in crouched down, you know, and and you'd sort of place all of the other things around him and then seal it up. And one of the most remarkable things was that St. Nicholas Owen was so good at building these, we don't think we're ever going to find all of the ones that he built. Um, some remarkable. of them have only been found in recent decades. And... I mean, it it took an incredible amount of skill not only to build these things in the first place, but then to build them in a way that they were so camouflaged with the original um, woodwork or stonework or whatever that 
you couldn't find them. And, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, well, they didn't have, you know, like heat sensing capabilities and things like that. Like, oh, we could we could totally find priests nowadays. It must have it must not have been that hard back then because they, you know, everything was so rudimentary. Well, yeah. you know, if you read accounts of the the people who were involved in these searches, either being searched or doing the searching, the methods were incredibly sophisticated to the point of like measuring the depths of walls, um, you know, breaking apart things that they knew were used to conceal priests in the past. So one of the things was wainscoting. Um, wainscoting was was notoriously used for priest holes. So they would just go into a room and tear down all the wainscoting, whether Jeez. they suspected that it hit anything or not. Um, and and they just had they had all of these things where you know they would they would look at the house and how it was constructed and sort of plan out how it had to look on the inside in terms of exact measurements and things, and then go in and measure everything. And if they found a discrepancy, they'd tear it apart. Um, and it, it was just it's amazing. The other impressive thing is every time they discovered a priest hole, that sort of technique for building a priest hole was now used. useless. Yeah, because Jeez. they they knew what to look for. So you're thinking, okay, he's building these amazing holes. He's making them look exactly like everything around them. And he's constantly innovating new ways and new locations to build these because he can never use the same way twice once it's been discovered. So it's just, it's amazing that he was willing to risk his life for this. And in fact, he was eventually caught. Well, he was caught and then he escaped from the Tower of London uh, and then he was caught again. And never did he um, breathe a word of anything to the authorities. He never confessed anything. He never gave him any information that would lead to the, the capture of a priest. He could have sold everyone out and walked away scot-free. But in the end, he was killed. Um, he was tortured to death. It's a particularly gruesome martyrdom um, that we will not get into here on the show. But if you're not squeamish, or if you really want some some motivation, read about his martyrdom. Um, the other impressive thing is he was extremely small. Um, they think he, he may have had uh, either some kind of dwarfism or, or some other kind of... Um, uh, you know, genetic predisposition to being small. And he walked with a limp and he had a hernia that went essentially untreated for most of his adult life. And so <laughs> uh, added to all of those other things, he was working in quite possibly the worst conditions that I can imagine yeah. for doing this sort of work. Um, but he never gave up. He he was always willing to use his talents for good and to to help save the lives um, and, and bring the faith to those around him. Um, and he's an incredible role model for using your talents for good and not being afraid to make faith a part of your your craft. Um, you know, nowadays we tend to think that, uh, well, our, our faith is our private life and our public life is apart from our faith, but that's not at all what St. Nicholas Owen espoused. Um, you know, it, they were, they were one and the same and his faith meant so much to him that, um, you know, he was not willing to leave that out of, of any part of his life. So, you know, I think 
all three of these saints, again, whether whether you believe that they are now in heaven or not, you can look to these three men as role models. Um, and for those of you who are interested, they all have feast days that would be particularly appropriate days to ask for their intercession. Um, the feast of St. Wolfgang of Regensburg is October 31st, which is very interesting considering his dealings with the devil uh, mm-hmm. being on Halloween. Yeah. Um, uh, St. Joseph actually has two feasts. Um, his main feast, which is St. Joseph, husband of Mary, is March 19th. So that's coming up this year. And he also has a secondary feast on May 1st, which is St. Joseph the Worker. So for our purposes, that's actually a really cool feast because it it talks about the dignity of work, which we're going to get into in a, in a later episode as well. And then St. Nicholas Owen's feast day is March 22nd. Um, so we, we really encourage you to take to heart their stories and think about them, especially as they apply to your life and your woodworking and your craft. Right. So there's one thing I want to go back to on St. Nicholas Owen's story, because I, I think it's absolutely remarkable. If you think about it, right, we're talking about England in the in the late 1500s. We're not talking about simple architecture and design. Right. You know, we're talking about elaborate carvings and intricate, <laughs> you know, everything where to take apart something, make a cavity, and then close it up so that it looks like no one had touched anything is incredibly difficult. Yeah. I mean, just uh, like unimaginably difficult. Uh, and and so you, it's like, again, you kind of think about how good he had to have been in order for him to succeed in doing that. I mean, talk about heroic virtue from the standpoint of, of, of mastering a, a trade, um, which is just phenomenal. Um, you know, cause as, like you said, you know, the, the fact that they, many of them have not been discovered or we can only assume that they haven't been discovered because they're continuing to be discovered. I mean, that's just, that's just absolutely remarkable. Um, I would love to be able to see one of those. I'll probably have to look some up online just so I get a, get a sense of them. Um, yeah, we can post some in the show notes too. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I should also mention that uh, St. Nicholas is a um, particularly meaningful patron to me because um, my brother Daniel and I have a little side work, side business that we do um, where we, we specialize in ecclesiastical woodworking. And it's called Little John Woodworks. And you may be thinking Robin Hood, but... Uh, <laughs> Actually, Little John was one of St. Nicholas Owen's code names. People would refer to him as Little John so that if the authorities overheard, they didn't know who they were talking about. So that was sort of one of his, his code names as he operated in in this time in England's history. So um, we've taken him as our patron for that little side business and named it after him. So that's Little John Woodworks. And eventually I will actually be rebranding my social media to Little John Woodworks. So awesome. um, that'll be sort of a a heads up that that's coming in the future. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that, uh, before we get into the challenger question that we wanted to just mention is that we're working on getting an online store set up on the website. Um, yes. And one of the first things that's going to be available and it'll be free, uh, a downloadable uh, prayer. Uh, and, and that prayer is uh, something that actually uh, Adam wrote and we read before we record every episode. Uh, so it's, you know, a, a, 
a near and dear prayer to our hearts uh, that we feel like would be a great prayer to, to, to pray kind of as a, I'm walking into the shop now. Um, I mean, it could even be a, a prayer that, you know, I'm going to work now, but uh, especially from a, from a woodworking standpoint of kind of offering up that time uh, in service to God. Um, so hopefully we'll have that up soon. We'll let you know on Instagram uh, when we do have that. Uh, but, you know, we look forward to also providing additional uh, uh, content and, uh, and other, and other things to, you know, to help people grow in both faith and woodworking, um, as, as we kind of build out that store. So, uh, look, look forward to getting that launched and, and, and letting everyone know about that. Mm -hmm. So our challenge question for today is, do you have any patron saints or role models for woodworking that you either, you know, pray to in the case of a patron saint for, for their intercession or um, role models who have had a good effect on you uh, that you look up to in woodworking? And, you know, what do you think about these saint stories? What did you glean from them? And, and what will you take from those stories and try to apply to your own life? So be sure to chime in on any of our social media channels, really. Um, and, you know, whether you comment on our post or whether you post something yourself, uh, we try to use the hashtag stay virtuous so that we can sort of conglomerate all of the, the Arbor Vitae content and people can look for it all in one place. So feel free to use hashtag stay virtuous and uh, definitely speak up because we want to hear from you. Yep. Um, so that leads us to the last piece, uh, which we're particularly excited about this week, this episode, because, you know, we haven't been excited in the past. Um, right. Uh, so our featured craftsman for <laughs> for this episode um, is somebody that uh, has actually been, you know, a listener from from pretty early on and has been, you know, actively contributing all these conversations and is a remarkably talented uh, fine woodworker. Um, and that and that individual is Craig Thibodeau. Um, and so we actually had the pleasure of, of speaking with him uh, a few days ago, and we look forward f to airing that episode next Friday, uh, mm -hmm. so a week from today when this launches, um, to kind of hear about his story. Uh, and really, we dive into kind of the, the men that have played a, a role in his, in his professional career as a woodworker from a mentoring, role model and mentoring standpoint. Um, so, uh, you know... Both Adam and I have been uh, definitely inspired by the work that he does, uh, the quality of his work, and just the uh, just the the talent and experience that he has. Recognizing that, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to assume that people are just born with it. You know, they're either they're born with it, they have it, or they don't. Um, and it's easy to look at maybe Craig's work and feel like the same way. Oh, he's just, you know, he's just gifted in that. And when you hear a story, you'll realize that's not, that's not true. It's not true any, in any sense ever. Um, you know, when people excel at their trade, it's because they've invested the time mm -hmm. to, to get to that level of excellence. And so I think that's probably one of the things I admire most about him. Um, and, you know, listening to his story really kind of re-inspired me as well to continue that, that learning journey and to continue to develop my skills. Uh, and not really ever tr settle for, oh, it's good enough, um, because that's when we get complacent and that's when this stops being um, something that's virtuous and stops being something that's fruitful. Mm -hmm. 
And Craig's work in particular is impressive to me because it's it's in an area he specializes in veneer work. So um, either just you know standard veneering or inlay or marquetry or parquetry, um, creating various shapes with you know inlaid veneering and 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 um, non wood materials. You know uh, mother of pearl and abalone and stone and all kinds of things. Um, I feel like that is something that a lot of woodworkers, especially hobbyist woodworkers, think of as being this mysterious, like, other. You know, that's it's like a next-level woodworking skill because mm-hmm. it's just not something that is it, – it's not a basic skill. I mean, no. Let, let's face it. It's not a basic skill. It's an advanced skill. But um, one of the things that we asked Craig about was – if he had any tips for people who wanted to get into veneer work. Uh, and so he, he does have a few good suggestions there. Um, hopefully you're all following Craig at this point, but if you're not, you really, really need to check him out mm-hmm. um, on social media. He's at CT fine furniture on Instagram. Um, he, he has uh, a Facebook page, which I believe is just Craig Thibodeau. Um, yeah. So definitely check him out there. Um, just amazing work, veneer work, um, furniture design and and building. Um, he does a lot of art deco. Uh, he does crazy mechanical tables that that you know you you push on them and they pop up and have all these secret compartments coming out. It's just it's amazing and inspiring work. And whether it's the kind of work that you want to do or not, it will inspire you to do better, um, which is. That's how Craig got to where he is. He he yeah. was inspired and he he worked at it until he was doing better and better and better. And all of us can attain that. Um, right. And and the best part about the conversation also is that, you know, Adam and I are hobbyist woodworkers. You know, yes, we do projects for, uh, you know, business type projects where, you know, we're, we're building something for somebody we're getting paid. Uh, but more or less, you know, we're more in the hobbyist camp. And so, you know, having interviews with somebody like Craig is, is really great because it's the other perspective of what does woodworking look like when it's a profession, you know, Mm -hmm. it is his livelihood it's his family's livelihood. And so, especially if you're out there as a listener and either you're looking at making woodworking into a business or you are, whether it's part-time or full-time, uh, there's a tremendous insight and, and wisdom into how to do that successfully. So be sure to check that out next Friday. Definitely. So I think that's it for this episode, right? It is. So next episode will be part two of Role Models, where we will be talking about mentors, uh, the importance of mentors in our lives, you know, professionally, woodworking and otherwise, um, and and some practical tips on kind of how to maybe how to approach uh, finding somebody. Um, so we look forward to recording that and, and getting that out there uh, in a couple of weeks. And as always, uh, you can find us at arborvitaepodcast.com or on Instagram. Um, and then you can find both Adam and I. Uh, I'm on Instagram as the Catholic Woodworker, and Adam is Catholic Composer. So uh, don't forget the challenger questions about uh, patron saints and role models in your life and uh, maybe some of the, uh, the inspiration that you've gleaned from the stories that we shared here today. So thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay virtuous. Hey, Jonathan. Yep. Do you know what my favorite biblical quote from St. Joseph is? It goes like this.
Yep. <laughs>